When you need to restore flow in an ischemic limb, there's no time to lose. You need the Pounce Thrombectomy System. The Pounce System from Sermonix is a purpose-built percutaneous device for removing thrombus and embolus in the peripheral vasculature. No capital equipment or aspiration needed. Just grab, go, and restore flow. It's simple. With the Pounce System, you place the basket wire distal to the clot, place the collection funnel proximal to the clot, pull back to collect the clot in the funnel, and retract the system through your guide sheath. The secret sauce? The Pounce Funnel is designed to macerate and dehydrate the clot, allowing you to remove even large amounts of material through a 7-front sheath. Visit PounceSystem.com to learn how physicians have used the device to accelerate on-table flow restoration while reducing use of thrombolytics. Pounce Thrombectomy. Strike quickly to capture and remove clot. This week on the Backtable Podcast. I totally agree that if you're going to do wound care, you kind of have to do it all because you're 100% right that most of the time, what, what referring doctors always want is the easy button. They want, they're primarily looking for how do I get this patient referred to somebody that can help sort out this problem and give the patient back to me, whether that's uh, an abscess or a wound or cancer, it, all that they're looking for is, is an easy referral and that, to know that that patient is coming back. And so uh, you can't, I, I don't think you can cherry pick wound care. You do have to kind of take it all at once. And, and you're right, most of these people don't know if it's an arterial ulcer, a venous ulcer, mixed disease. And that takes some significant work up on a wound care standpoint to, do, to sort out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable Podcast, your source for all things interventional and endovascular. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on backtable.com. This is Aaron Fritz as your host this week, and I'm very excited to introduce our guest today, a good friend of mine, Dr. Robbie Morrison from Coastal Imaging Associates at Baptist Hospital in Beaumont, Texas. And another good friend of mine, Dr. Srini Tumala from the University of Miami Department of Interventional Radiology. Welcome, guys. Thank you. How you doing, Eric? Hi, guys. How you doing, Robbie? Good, Srini. Good to see you. So today's topic uh, is something I've been wanting to do for a little while now. And, you know, it came up a couple of times with both with conversations and prior podcasts. If you guys haven't caught it, speaking to the audience, Check out episode 86 with Dr. Srini Tumala, where he gets into building a PAD practice with Sabine Don. Srini also has his own vascular channel on YouTube called Dr. Tumala's Vascular Channel. I'll let him talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But, you know, today's topic is really around wound care and, you know, the question of, you know, what I've seen in the community and, and have asked around about is whether or not endovascular specialists can and or should learn wound care on their own for their, as an added service for their patients, both to help build, you know, build that practice, but also just longitudinal care over the long run. And so I wanted to talk, I wanted to kind of get into the pros and cons of doing such a thing. And, and so Robbie, as I mentioned, is in private practice here in Texas and Srini is more of an academic center, but I wanted to get their opinions on, you know, whether, whether or not, you know, when and how you should do such a thing. So first of all, though, I want to have you guys kind of give a brief intro about yourselves. Uh, Robbie, we'll start with you. Start with you. Sure. So Robbie Morrison, I'm a 
uh, interventional radiologist in Beaumont, Texas, and a small private practice group were uh, in a medium-sized city outside of a major metropolitan area, Houston being the closest city of about an hour, hour and 15 minutes away. So, you know, our my practice is, is pretty wide scoping. I do a, a lot of PAD, a lot of venous insufficiency and chronic DVT treatment, as well as interventional oncology in addition to just the standard hospital-based bread and butter IRR cases. Brittany, tell us a little bit about where you're at. Just like Robbie, I'm an interventional radiologist. I've been in practice for a couple of decades now. Currently, I'm at the University of Miami in our independent department of interventional radiology. So we function, you know, completely separate from diagnostic radiology, which is a separate department, which is kind of beneficial for us for, for a number of reasons. And, uh, you know, just like Robbie, I mean, the majority of my practice really is focused on really peripheral arterial disease, critical limb ischemia and, uh, venous disease, whether it's superficial and deep, you know, obviously I'm in Miami, Florida. So we're in a huge catchment area in South Florida, as you can imagine, given the demographics here of older population, a lot of smokers, diabetics, et cetera. And just to give you kind of an idea, we have probably in the tri-county area about 300 plus podiatrists. And uh, that's not counting, you know, internal medicine physicians who are involved, vascular surgeons, other other specialties, and, and it's not even counting the wound care center. So you can imagine how many patients with wounds are being treated, uh, you know, on a daily basis. Great. Thanks for those intros, guys. And so let's start off with just asking the question, you know, why would an endovascular specialist want to learn wound care for their uh, arterial and or venous practice? I'm going to start with Robbie since, you know, sort of how that idea came, came to be in, in your practice. Yeah. So, you know, for me, it was really just kind of fortuitous timing. I joined a small private practice group straight out of fellowship and uh, had been in practice maybe for about a year and was approached by the local wound care doctor who asked if, you know, I would mind seeing a consult of his. And that evolved into a relationship where, you know, for me, like you, Aaron, I, I kind of didn't really appreciate what all wound care would bring to my interventional practice. When I got out of fellowship, you know, kind of the big the hot topic was interventional oncology. So kind of my sights were set on that, but then I realized very quickly that although that was important in my community, what was really lacking was anyone doing a comprehensive uh, service line for, for vascular disease. We, you know, we've got several different cardiology groups in the area that obviously are doing PAD, but nobody that was really trying to, to, to capture the whole picture. And so in that first interaction that I had with this wound care doctor, who now is no longer here, I kind of saw that that was a need. And so it started out with me just joining him actually in his clinic. And I would kind of run a tandem clinic with him where at first I was piggybacking off of his cases. And anytime he had a, a patient that he thought maybe had a venous insufficiency ulcer, ulcer and an arterial ulcer, he would invite me in to come take a look. And then that, that, that then evolved into me just having my own clinic, but also in the wound care space. And that's kind of how it started initially. I, I didn't really have uh, much of a volume, so I didn't really justify a whole lot of clinic time or space. So I just kind of used the wound care facilities when they were already in progress and utilized their nursing staff and office staff. But then as that kind of snowballed on itself, it, 
it became apparent how how a how important that was and how critical it was to those patients, but then what the need was for my community. And so that then evolved into me running my own clinic still at the wound care center once that uh, some local things, politics changed. And so I wound up actually changing hospitals. And as part of that change, the competing hospital that I was joining also had a wound care center that was suffering from a, a lack of cohesive staff, meaning their provider that they were ha- that they did have was a locums person that, that, that they were replacing. And it was just the perfect timing for me to say, Hey, I would like to step into that role. I can be your wound care physician. And they embraced that idea because they, thankfully I had the administrative support where they saw the benefit in having a vascular specialist also providing wound care because they, you know, thankfully recognized that a lot of these patients needed endovascular interventions via PAD or venous insufficiency. And that was through some education on my part with administration as far as, you know, this is, this is how this would be mutually beneficial for everyone, for the hospital, for my, myself and my practice and for our patients. And so that's how it kind of evolved. Okay. Yeah. And so you, you almost, you, you kind of answered my next question real quick before I asked Srini is, is this, was this more PAD specific or can a venous specialist also utilize this skill? Yeah. So, yeah, so absolutely. So, I mean, a, a venous specialist could also use this. I would say that it just in my practice, probably 60% of all patients that I see are venous disease patients and the other 40% are PAD patients. So uh, certainly venous uh, disease is very, very common in the wound care setting. So, yeah, so, th- so it would be tough if all you did was veins because you're, you know, I guess you would have to refer out all the PAD stuff, but but certainly there's a tremendous volume there for, for venous specialists. Gotcha. And, and Trini, you've been out in practice for a while and I know you, you've worked in a, a variety of different practice types, both private and academic. Can you tell me some examples of where you've seen this uh, work with, you know, wound care? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Robbie raises great points. I mean, the bottom line is I think this is the future of our specialty is that we have to not only be involved in wound care from A to Z. But we also need to be involved with non-invasive imaging and vascular lab and so on and so forth. And that really needs to be part of our training, I think. Um, you know, Robbie obviously learned this on the job. And, you know, there's wound certification courses you can go to and so forth. And it'll be interesting to see hear what Robbie has done to do that. I think it depends on your practice that you're in, Aaron. You know, if you're in a private practice that's very busy and they support a clinic, but they don't see the need for wound care. You know, that's something you have to convince all of them because it's going to take some buy-in, right? I mean, I'm sure as Robbie knows, it takes time, it takes money, it takes infrastructure. And, uh, you know, a lot of diagnostic interventional radiology practices, you know, you may not get buy-in from all your senior partners or your partners in the group. I think it also depends on what your referral base is. You know, if you are very busy treating patients uh, with critical limb ischemia, you know, Rutherford 5-6, so with wounds and so forth. And you are, your primary referral base are podiatrists or other wound care doctors. They may not be thrilled about you doing wound care. So you have to look at it from that perspective as well. I think it helps to understand it and know something about it, but you know, they may look at you as competition if you start getting involved with wound care as well. 
I think if you're in a practice that it, or in a town that's smaller, doesn't have a lot of vascular specialists or a lot of wound care doctors who are doing everything in terms of comprehensive vascular care, like, you know, Robbie's setting it from what it sounds like to me, and I'll let him, you know, interject when he needs to. But I think then it makes sense to be the doctor to say, I provide all care for your patient. And I think that way you're not burning any bridges. Because at the end of the day, it's a referral base, right? I mean, right now, uh, most of my referrals are from podiatry doctors. I do get some referrals from primary care and family practice. And so, sure, they would love it if I did wound care. But for me, I'm so busy with arterial and venous disease and interventions and clinic and, and so forth that for me, in my practice, it makes more sense for me to say, oh, you've got a wound. Let me see what I can revascularize. And now I'm going to send you to this podiatrist or this wound care doctor. And so I'm giving back to them. You know, they're referring to me and I'm referring to them. And so I think that's why I kind of made that initial statement that we have 300 plus, you know, podiatrists just in the, in the, you know, we're talking Miami, Broward County, Palm Beach County, those three counties, maybe even more if you Google it. And that's a lot. And so I don't want to be seen as somebody who's competing with them. And so that's why I don't advertise myself as a wound care doctor and I, I don't get involved in wound care, but that's purely because of my specific referral base. But I, you know, like Robbie said, I think it's important. I think it's important that if you're going to do wound care, you're probably better off doing wound care for all patients, all comers, arterial and venous. I think if you have a busy venous practice, like a lot of uh, people do, you know, managing your patient's venous ulcers, I think that's great. It's fine. But if you're going to go work in a wound care center, like a lot of hospitals have or academic centers, if it's not a private hospital, you know, you're not seeing only arterial wounds or on, only venous wounds. I mean, you're basically seeing all, all comers basically, right? Everybody with a wound that needs something to be done is coming in. And so I think like Robbie said, it's very difficult to differentiate and separate these patients at the referral level, right? If you tell a primary care doctor or a podiatrist, not a podiatrist, a primary care doctor or somebody that refers these types of patients to you and say, just send me the venous wounds or the venous ulcers. I mean, it's now you're putting them in a position where they're like, I, I just want to, I see a wound, I want to send it. So I think it is important that we, if we're going, if you're going to do it, do all of it like Robbie does. And like Robbie said, and not try to be niche because niche does not work in this field. And I think Robbie would even agree that you know, I can't tell my, my referring doctors, well, just send me all the PAD and, and don't send me venous disease. Well, half the time they don't know. And when you get these patients, I'm sure Robbie, you know, sees this on a daily basis like I do. Sometimes it's really hard to tell. Is it arterial venous mixed? I mean, what's going on until you do a lot of testing and history and really look into the, uh, what's going on with the patient. So. Yeah, Shrini, sure. those are all really great points. You know, I mean, you've said a lot there and, and I'd like to kind of go back to a couple of different points that you made that are, that are excellent. As far as like starting and building the practice, you're exactly right. You have to get buy-in from the rest of your group and that can be a big challenge and, and it certainly helps to have, it's critical to have that support from the, from the rest of your practice to pursue that because you're right. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of energy. And sometimes money, it just kind of depends on the setup, but certainly that can be a big hurdle for a lot of people is to get past that initial challenge of proving that it's worth it. And that can be very hard for, from a diagnostic group centric perspective, because they don't always appreciate the value that IR brings to, uh, the table. Although I would, 
argue that if you really track it, interventional radiology can bring just as much, if not more, to the table than than the diagnostic guys can. But you gotta you gotta be selective in in what you're doing, and if you're pursuing wound care and all of that it encompasses, oftentimes that uh, can be a good mix for for a group. And sometimes it brings a lot of new business to the table that that isn't there otherwise. So it's good for the group as well as for the hospital. I would also say that something else that you just mentioned is, as far as I totally agree that if you're going to do wound care, you kind of have to do it all because you're hundred percent right that most of the time, what, what referring doctors always want is the easy button. They want, they're primarily looking for, how do I get this patient referred to somebody that can help sort out this problem and give the patient back to me, whether that's uh, an abscess or a wound or cancer, it, all that they're looking for is is an easy referral and that, to know that that patient is coming back. And so uh, you can't, I, I don't think you can cherry pick wound care. You do have to kind of take it all at once. And and you're right, most of these people don't know if it's an arterial ulcer, a venous ulcer, or mixed disease. And that takes some significant work up on a wound care standpoint to do, to sort out. I would, I would say that for me and my practice, the way that I tried to get a, to deal with that, because it's a lot to take in all at once is I hired a nurse practitioner in conjunction with myself. And so she really does all of the clinical side of the wound care now. And shortly after we started, it was kind of, we started together, uh, where, where she really does now all the day-to-day wound care. So for me now, I've, because I just don't have the time. So now I'm, I'm really focused on the procedural aspect of it. And I see patients both pre-op and post-op, but the day-to-day wound care management of uh, dressing changes, skin grafts, and that kind of thing are all handled by my nurse practitioner. That's great. You guys are making my job easy. You covered a lot, a lot right there. Uh, and I'm glad that, uh, yeah, Robbie, you touched on the things that, that Srini was talking about. I do want to go back to, you know, that decision, Robbie, where, you know, you're like, okay, I'm going to try this, you know, what's the next step? How do you, how does one learn wound care? Did you get a bunch of help from industry? Did you, know, can you just walk through like the courses that are available, you know, what the certifications like where you can actually call yourself a wound care doctor? Sure. Yeah. So for me, again, it was just uh, luck of the draw, the, the wound care center that I was partnering up with happened to be managed by a national wound care company called Helogics, and they offered a intensive training course where we went to this training course and they taught us everything about wound care and hyperbarics and, and, and enabled me to become certified in hyperbaric treatments. And so that was just a really wonderful opportunity. It was an excellent course. It was very well run, very well put together, learned a tremendous amount. So. For me, that was a great opportunity. I, I don't know what they're, you know, if they're available for, if you're not working in a Helogic Center, if you can go and sign up for their course and go take it. I'm sure that there are other opportunities out there like that. I know that there are, you know, obviously entire conferences built around wound care. But for me, that's kind of how I got my foot in the door was by actually attending one of those uh, courses like that. And what, what was the learning curve on it? How, how much experience till you really felt pretty comfortable with what you were doing? 
oh man, it was super steep, you, you know, because it's, it was a clinical side of medicine that I had never done before. So it took a tremendous amount of uh, effort and studying to, to kind of just learn the, the basics of, of wound care and the, and the, you know, all the options that are out there. There's, it's a, it's a tremendous field with a, with a ton of data out there, a ton of different products that are available, which is, which is another reason why now that my practice has gotten so busy, I've kind of taken a little bit of a step back from the actual day-to-day wound care, because it's tough to keep up with if you're, if you're that busy, if you're as busy as I am. And so it's, if you're not in it every day, it's kind of hard to dabble in it. So that's why I really rely heavily on my nurse practitioner who does do it every day. So you kind of, so I jumped all in at the beginning, but then as things really started to ramp up from a procedure standpoint, I, out of necessity, I had to kind of pull back from the actual wound care part. Gotcha. And did you have any issues with, you know, on the, on the billing side at first, did, did you know, was yeah, so that, yeah, that? that was a, uh, that was tricky to navigate. We use a national billing company and they had never, they're radiology centric. And so they had never dealt with any of the wound care billing codes. So that was like a huge learning process for, for all of us, for myself, for my office manager, as well as for our, our national billing company. It was a, that was a big ordeal for sure. Srini, I wanted to ask you, you know, just getting back into talking about refer, uh, referring docs and, and it, you made a really good point in your last episode. And it's the same point that Robbie was making is the referring doc oftentimes just wants everything he, they want to hit the easy button, right? They want to hand over the patient and know that you're going to take care of them. And you in responding to that referral need to assure them that, yes, I'm going to, you know, what's their name, what's their phone number. I'm going to take care of it. And, you know, they don't want to hear that you refer, you're, you're then referring out to somebody who handles the arterial disease and you're only doing venous disease, that's not going to go over well. Have you had any issues with like some of your partners or, you know, not, not presently, but in the past kind of trying to do that and, and seeing that fail? Yeah. I mean, I think if you look at it carefully, um, it just doesn't work. You know, it's similar to let's take, you know, a GI doctor who only places esophageal stents or only does upper endoscopy. You know, can you imagine now you're a referring doctor trying to figure out, wait a minute, upper GI I send to this guy, lower GI I send to this uh, physician. You know, it, it's very complicated. And think about an internal medicine office or a family practice office. If you ever called one, it's it takes forever to get through, even as a physician, or sometimes they call you back, you know, at least here, they'll call me back the next day or four or five hours later, because they're so busy. Their office is busy handling things. They're busy. And so they really want it where they walk into a room, they see a patient, they see a wound and their first thing in their head is like, okay, Tamala's my guy. Okay. Robbie's my guy, you know, or this is my physician or whatever it is. And they don't want to think much more about it than that. They're just going to ask a few questions. How are you? How has it been there? How long has it been there? Hey, Dr. T, here's, I'm going to send you a patient. Great. And then from there, I just take care of everything. And if it's a non-podiatrist, what I usually do is I, I work them up. If there's something I need to revascularize, I take care of that. And then I, I call the referring doc and I say, Hey, look, this patient obviously is going to need really good wound care. Do you have somebody that you use or that you like to refer to, or do you want me to plug them into a wound care center or with a, what I usually do is plug them in with a specific physician that does wound care, because then I know 
what's happening. I can always get information. I can keep the referring doctor in the loop and so forth. Because the last thing you want to do, and I've seen this in the past, is you treat them and you say, okay, I'm going to refer you to this wound care center. Then the patient's gone. They're lost to your follow-up a lot of times. You don't know really what's happening. And then the referring doc calls you and said, hey, what's going on? This patient's not happy. The wound care is not, they're not doing it right. You know, so you kind of have to be very careful on where you kind of secondarily refer. And I tell all my referring docs, look, your patient always comes back to you. If they go see anybody else, I always make sure that I discuss it with them and see, is there somebody they like, somebody they like to refer to or how they want me to approach it at that point. And most of them have an idea of what they want to do. I mean, this is for the, you know, for the, the doctor, you know, who's not doing wound care. Right. So I think that's an important thing. Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, along the, sorry, real quick, just along those lines for like the listener right now, who's listening to you, they'll listen to Robbie and they're, they've already made up with their mind. Okay. I'm not going to, wound care is over my head. I don't have the resources to do it. I don't have the buy-in for my group. I'm, I'm probably just going to go out and try and get, get as many referrals from podiatry and wound care as possible. Do you have any suggestions for how to go about doing that? Yeah. Like, you mean just how to build your practice basically? Yeah. Yeah. Like building it without doing the wound care yourself. Like how, sure. I mean, is sure. it just pounding the pavement, you know, and you yeah. kind of touched on this in your prior episode, but maybe just right. some, some pearls. Yeah, I think the pearls are, you know, see who's around you, go talk to as many of these. I mean, you look, you just got to do what other, you know, doctors and other specialties do, right? They hand out cards, they give presentations, they give lecture, lectures or talks at breakfast, lunch, dinner talks. They go meet these physicians in the office, you know, at, at their location of convenience for them. And, and you have to present yourself not as hi, I'm an interventional radiologist or I'm a vascular surgeon and, and technically I'm better than this person or that person. You have to just present yourself. I'm a vascular doctor and here's how I can help your patients. You can get a hold of me 24 seven. Here's my cell phone. You can call or text me anytime. You have a patient in the room. Give me a call. Give me a text. You have a question about a patient. You don't know what to do in terms of workup. I'll help you out. And then you just have to be available 24 seven. It's just, it's a lot of, like you said, hitting the pavement, a lot of work and a lot of effort, especially when you're in a competitive environment, like, like I am here. I don't know what Robbie's environment is like, but you know, we have tons of interventional radiologists and vascular surgeons and cardiologists, everybody. All over the place. Srini, I think, I think that's a great point. And I, and I think that it's that communication that's so key. And if you can give an, a referring doctor your cell phone and they have yours, and you text them a pre and post-op picture when, when you treat one of their patients and you revascularize something and, and it looks great, send them that picture, let them know right then what you've, what you've done and, 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 yep. and they'll be so appreciative of that. And that fosters that relationship because they can, I mean, they can see it with their own eyes and, and it, and it is amazing and it's going to help their patient out so much. I mean, so many of these podiatry Podiatry is such a, a great relationship to have because almost all of those patients are in the critical limb ischemia spectrum. They're all infrapopliteal disease. They're all these advanced diabetics. And so, you know, if they're contemplating doing a, a, a foot surgery, you know, they're, they're really relying heavily on you being able to revascularize that patient. And so if you can uh, show them that you've done that and that you've, you've got this great pre-op picture of, of a absent AT and then your post-op shows a nice wide open AT, send that to them and, and they will appreciate that greatly. 
Yeah. And I'll even go one step for, uh, further than that, Robbie, is that that's, that's an excellent point. And that is what I do. I send them actually videos, you know, I'll text them a, a, sure. a video of the angiogram pre and post and I'll ask them, Hey, did you see this patient? Can you send me a picture of their wound now? And so that keeps me engaged with them and vice versa. But the other thing too, is, you know, you ultimately have to have a, develop a relationship with these dot, with these physicians that are referring to you, you know, they, it really helps. Think about it. If, if Aaron Fritz is working around here, he's an internal medicine doc and I'm buddies with him. He's more likely to refer to me than he is to somebody else that walks into the office and says, Hey, I'm a doc here. I can do all this for you. Send him to me. And he has no relationship with that person. So that's, that's an important caveat as well. Yeah. I mean, I've seen that, I've seen that work really well, far better than, you know, taking these guys out to dinner or you know, to, or sending them gift baskets or cookies or whatever. It just have it, get them seeing the results. You know, a lot of times they respond right away. You know, they'll call you back or, or reply with a text. Like, that's amazing. Like, thanks for sending that. And it, to me, it just is a great strategy that nobody really tells you about. Guys, you guys really covered this well. And, and that, those are all the questions I had. Any, any final words or last little pearls before we sign off? I mean, I think one thing I would say is that if you are part of an integrated, you know, radiology practice, I mean, this is obviously not for the interventional cardiologists and vascular, although the interventional cardiologists have a lot of the same issues that we do in terms of non-invasive cardiologists in their group, you know, wanting them to read more EKGs, stress thals, et cetera, et cetera, see more patients in clinic is that, you know, convincing your partners of why it makes sense. And like Robbie said is, if you have to, you know, I would assume, you know, make a spreadsheet, show financials and say, look, we're going to bring in patients because of this. And from this, we're going to get this. And from this, we're going to get that. Because at the end of the day, it's the bottom line for, for a lot of practices to survive, right? Yeah, to totally agree with that, Srini. You know, having a, a robust peripheral artery intervention program and or venous disease program brings so much more than just the procedures. I mean, all of these patients need regular diagnostic imaging follow-up, you know, both pre-op and post-op and, and they're your patients for life. I mean, these, these patients are, this is not a one and done kind of deal these patients. You're with them for years and they need your help for years. So it's a, uh, you know, it makes all kinds of sense from every angle. Yeah. I'm glad you guys brought that up with the imaging. Cause that, that would, that's something that a lot of times gets overlooked and obviously helps with the buy-in. If you're part of a big diagnostic group is, you know, with wound care, I mean, a lot of these patients need MRIs, right? To evaluate for osteo and that sort of thing. So there's that. And there's also CTAs, CT venograms, uh, a lot of things that can get done on the imaging side for these patients. So, hey, uh, thank you guys so much for coming on. It was great to catch up with both of you. Great to connect you guys. And if anybody, if any of our listeners need to get a hold of you, Srini, I, do, I did want you to talk briefly about the, the vascular channel before we sign off. But Robbie, you know, if anybody needs to get a hold of you, are, are you on social media or do, should people just email you? Yeah, the, you know, you, I'm not really on social media, but yeah, email is great. Absolutely. Okay, great. And we can, we can post that with the show notes. Shreen, tell us a little bit about the Vassar channel before we sign off. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, people can, you know, always you know, direct message me at, on Twitter at Srini Tumala. And, you know, the vascular channel came about because, you know, obviously educating trainees and early physician, early career docs or anyone interested in peripheral arterial disease is really a big passion of mine. And a lot of, you know, people were asking me, where are these talks, these videos you do at courses when, you know, I was doing courses for various companies related to peripheral arterial disease. 
And so that's why I created the channel, Dr. Tamala's vascular channel to kind of really do how to, how do I recanalize a chronic total occlusion? How do I use a collateral to retrograde recanalize it? You know, how do I do basic things, angioplasty, stent deployment, pedal loop, below ankle disease and so forth. And so that's kind of where that came about and, and it's been gaining traction uh, slowly, which is great. Yeah. And you've done a really good job with that. All right, guys. Hey, thank you to our listeners uh, for tuning in. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at underscore Backtable. If you like the podcast, you want to you hear more, please uh, leave some comments for us or uh, leaving a review on iTunes would be great as well. But thanks, everybody. And, and thanks to Srini and Robbie. Thanks, thanks guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at at underscore Backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts Chris Beck, Sabine Don, Michael Barraza, and Ali Behetti. Our audio team lead is Kieran Gannon with support from Caleb Hodson, Josh McWhirter, and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz. Article and transcript support by Taylor Robinson. And Delaney Aguilar. Social media and PR by Anne Dang. Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Moon. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.